You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Well, it's not Rick Franzi today. Rick Franzi is out, and uh, I've been asked to uh, step in temporarily. Uh, and we may have somebody else joining us as well. Uh, Janice Davis normally sits in for Rick on these occasions, but today anything can happen. It's right before uh, the holidays, and lots of crazy stuff happens here. But we thank you for uh, tuning in. Uh, those of you who are new to the show, we remind you that uh, Rick's a big believer in the power of peer learning, learning from others. And that's really what this show is all about. It gives uh, his community a chance to uh, talk to other thought leaders in other areas, other business people who may be going through the same or similar challenges to what they're experiencing. And through that, we collectively learn from the experiences of each other. For more information on Rick's uh, particular brand of peer groups, you might want to check him out, Critical Mass for Business, all spelled out, Critical Mass for Business. Dot com. Um, today, we have a couple of uh, fascinating guests with us, as always. And let's get the first one in here, and let's see if I get the name correct. Uh, it's Anne Claire Broughton. Did I spell that correct? Uh, pronounce that correctly? Yeah, it's Anne Claire Broughton. Broughton. Okay, well, I was pretty close. And I know you yeah. you uh, use both Anne and Claire as part of your uh uh, first name here, so I'll, forgive me if I slip into Anne, but I'll try and remember Anne Claire all the time here. Thank you. You are the principal of Broughton, Broughton Consulting. Tell us a little bit about Broughton Consulting and your path to starting or being a principal in this firm here. Absolutely. Uh, so Broughton Consulting is focused around helping businesses fully tap their most important resource, which is, of course, their people. Because companies that can successfully align the interests of the business and the employees can experience a powerful competitive advantage. So what we do at Broughton Consulting is a combination of researching and writing about some of the most innovative people practices that we've found used by very successful companies, and then also helping other companies adapt the practices that are most suited for their particular business. And these practices can range from creating smart incentive systems to increased business literacy and transparency through things like open book management, uh, to exploring business succession options like selling to the employees through an ESOP. I know you've had Martin Staubus uh, from the Beister Institute. Absolutely. Fascinating discussion. Yeah. I don't know why more companies aren't looking at ESOPs, employee stock ownership plans. It was a fascinating uh, thing. And, and I, I don't remember the exact statistic, but there aren't that many companies that pursue that option. Well, there's a certain amount, and there's more all the time. And there are a lot of retiring baby boomer uh, business owners, so it's a great time for employees to, for, for business owners to think about the possibility of selling to their employees as an exit strategy. Exactly. And that, if I remember correctly, it was a while ago, uh, his point was just that, that all this wave of baby boomer business owners, people like myself, I own this radio station and uh, help produce shows here. What are we going to do when we hit that magic number, whatever it is, 70, 80, 90, 120, whatever it is, when we finally decide to uh, hang up our spurs here? Are we just going to close the doors, or are we all under the illusion that somehow we're going to sell our businesses? There may not be enough buyers. There may not, people might have not have enough money to buy your business. So what else do you do? Give it to your kids? Shut the door? Uh, an ESOP seemed like a very intriguing option here. 
Well, ESOPs are fantastic because you've taken the time to recruit and train fantastic employees and then teach them how to make the business successful so they they could be the best uh, successor. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's talk about some of those people things. You know, that is the, uh, if there's one common thread that runs through this show, it's that people are your most important asset. And I know everybody gives lip service to that. And there are certainly companies that do more than give lip service to it. Give us some examples of people who do it right and people who do it wrong. Uh, absolutely. Well, you had mentioned sort of my path for how to get here. Uh, so I worked for about 13 years with an impact investing firm called SJF Ventures, and it's affiliated nonprofit SJF Institute. And we were all about helping impact entrepreneurs, those who want to have both a very strong financial impact, but also maybe a social and environmental impact um, mm. to be successful. And I got very interested in employee engagement and sort of how to maximize your people when I visited one of SJF's early investments. And it was a minority-owned call center in Georgia. And when you walk through the door, there was this tangible feeling of excitement and energy. Uh, and, and they were just really firing on all cylinders. And some of the things they did, they had their core values posted on the walls in big letters, things like excellent customer interactions every time, and you bring the will, we'll give you the skill. Hmm. And they were not just empty words. You know, too often you walk in and there's, you know, it's inspiring things on the wall. Exactly. Exhortations, you know, all throughout the plant here, but that's all they are. That's all they are. But at this company, they walked the talk, and they they trained people really well. They reinforced their core values at every opportunity. You know, every day the president walked around and talked to employees. He had a huddle, a company-wide huddle, whenever anything happened and kept people in the loop. And so that excitement and that engagement was really strong. And so I got interested in this idea, and I wrote several reports at SJF looking for companies that really could link great people practices with strong financial performance. And then I formed my company a couple of years ago to just exclusively focus on this. And yet, so many companies don't get it right. They put it down in the company mission. They put exhortations and exclamation points next to it, and they have all this verbiage. But when it when the rubber hits the road, they seem to fall back to the old ways. And I think particularly during tough times, it's one thing to say, well, we care about developing our people, but, gee, our stock price just fell, or my job's on the line, and people revert back to that command and control, scream at them and get it done mentality. How do you avoid that? Well, I think you just have to really buckle down and have a commitment to practice these these important um, strategies all the time. And I have a lot of great stories of companies that actually weathered the downturn better because of their great people practices. That's what we're looking um, for. Share some of those will, with us, if you will, because people love stories, good or bad, particularly good. You know, how do you stick to your guns when you're getting fired at from all directions here? Well, I'll start with a little catering firm called Tasty Catering. They're based out of Chicago. They were actually a mature firm run by three brothers uh, that one day they got an ultimatum from the younger generation who marched into the CEO's office and they said, you've got to change or we're leaving. They said, we're tired of command and control. We're tri- tired of coming in every morning and trying to gauge the mood of the three brothers. We really want an employee-focused culture that we can own and that we can run by. 
And so the, the CEO took it to heart, and they bought everyone a copy of the book Good to Great. And they went through this process of defining their core values as a company. So everybody had a voice. And then once they had those values, they put them on the walls in both English and Spanish, and they read them prior to every meeting of at least three people. It's kind of like AA, so that people <laughs> really remember them. And then another smart thing they do is they refer to those core values by number. So it's kind of hard to say, hey, are you treating me with respect? But it's easier to say, is that number two? <laughs> um, so that was a really smart way they wow. did it. Wow. And then during the recent recession, they really felt like they had to lay some people off. And right. they called a meeting and they said, we've got to do it. And then the employees said, you know, are we a family? And the CEO said, yes, we are. And the employee said, well, we don't lay people off. We will take a volunteer. <laughs> you don't fire your off. brother or your cousin or whatever. Yeah, you don't, you don't you know, tell mom to stay home, right? No, you don't. So they all took a pay cut, and then just as soon as the business picked up, they all got their pay back, and nobody was laid off. Wow, that's amazing. Um, I think uh, we had on one of our other shows here in the network, and I may have this wrong, but I think it's Amazon, and they talk about how they always have an open seat at every meeting table and it's some specific seat and the idea is that that's the seat for the unseen customer how does this change your your dealing with customers if if you've got an energized workforce i gotta believe that changes the way you react to your customers here well that's absolutely right uh all of the companies that i've worked with uh, have a very strong customer service orientation. And they also believe that by treating their employees well, their employees will in turn treat the customers well. So keeping those, you know, excellent customer interactions front and center is key. I, always, uh, I can give you a couple of examples. Please. So, uh, I, I was going to – I'll share just the one I always – the classic one I always share in my life here. This goes back many years. But Marriott Hotels, to me, particularly when Bill Marriott was alive, had a had a different brand than others did, at least my experience as I travel around the country. And one night I got to a hotel very late, and I went down to see if the hot tub was still open, and they were just getting ready to close it up. So I jumped in, and, of course, no towels. And I'm thinking, oh, of all things, I forgot to bring a towel with me. And some pool boy, some very minimal, minimum wage employee is packing up, obviously uh, clocking out any moment, and could have easily left. There was nobody around. His boss wasn't around. Nobody was there. And as he started to walk off the deck, said, looked at me and said, would you like a towel, sir? And I thought, how do you mm-hmm. get people to care like that? He yes. cared whether or not I was taken care of. Yes, absolutely. That's just the type of culture that these leading companies have, and they they work very intentionally to build them. Yeah. Um, So that's a great example. Another one is New Seasons Market. It's a Hmm. great grocery chain out of Portland, Oregon. Um, One thing they do to empower their employees to give the best customer service is they give every new employee a get-out-of-jail-free card. (laughs) And what, yes, an actual card. And what it says is, dear supervisor, if Please thank your employee for doing whatever was necessary to make the customer happy. If you want to give them some feedback about how to do it differently next time, that's okay, but absolutely praise them first. Wow. So that's a way they keep it front and center. So you must go into places, though, and without naming names, see the opposite. I've certainly uh, had dealings with companies that say all the right things, but when it comes down to it, 
they don't do any of it. So they had a consultant came in and wrote all this, and they, they bought into it, but the upper executives never quite implemented it and turned it into a culture here. How, give us any examples of that. What do you see when you walk into something and you go, oh, my God, how long have they been doing this? Well, I've definitely seen that, and those are not going to be your most successful companies. The most successful companies are the ones that have their leaders leading with humility. I don't mm-hmm. know if you know the concept of servant leadership that Robert Greenleaf developed. Rick talks Maybe about it all the time, and, and that seems to run counter to the Donald Trump vision that we have of you know high-powered leaders. It's me, 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 and me again here. That's right. That's right. So it, it, it does have to start at the top. It's not going to work otherwise. But... One of the things that really works well that kind of makes things a little more objective is open book management. I don't know if you guys have covered that. Once, not on, I don't know if we did on Rick's show or some other show. Talk about that. I thought that was fascinating, uh, the idea that basically your employees, you, you don't keep the numbers from them. So they're, they're thinking you're making a million dollars and you're barely getting by or vice versa. You know, you, you're open, as I understand it, with your employees here. Is that correct? That's absolutely right. So the idea is to teach employees how money flows through the business and to involve them in tracking the financials and then to reward them for meeting and exceeding business goals. So the way that the analogy goes is that you wouldn't want to go bowling and have the pins behind a curtain. And then (laughs) your boss says, you know, I'll tell you at the end of the year how you did. Whether you won or lost. (laughs) Yeah, I'll tell you at the end of the year. Keep throwing those balls as if you're getting a strike, and we'll tell you later whether you hit anything. (laughs) That's absolutely right. So that's not going to be your most effective way to run the business or to play the game. You want people to be laser-focused on the metrics that matter, and you want them to have that information. So at companies like Tasty Catering, they practice open book management, and they actually assign a line item on the P&L to every employee. So at Tasty Catering, there was an employee who uh, was assigned to cover fuel costs. So you imagine a catering company has a lot of fuel costs. I'll bet. He went around, he found the gas station that had the cheapest fuel, and he figured out that the, the best time of the week was between Monday and Thursday. And so they always go to that gas station and get uh, on those days. And then also, if people are idling their trucks for more than 10 minutes, he'll run out and turn them off. Uh, and so they were able to save thousands and thousands of dollars in fuel costs by having this one guy think about that expense. And so if you can get everybody thinking like an owner, it's exciting for them, it's engaging for them, and your business is going to save a lot of money. Does this happen easier at smaller to mid-sized businesses where you might know all or most of your employees' names? Um, or can it take on, even if you're a fortune, you know... Fortune 5 company or whatever it is, you know, the top uh, companies. Or can General Motors do this as easily as uh, Tasty Cakes? I don't know if they'll do it as easily, but they can certainly do it, and they can break it down by division. But absolutely, any business, any organization can practice open book management. It's just a smart way to manage the metrics that matter. Um, It was actually invented by a company called Springfield Remanufacturing out of Springfield, Missouri, Hmm. and they, they... bought the business back from uh, the previous owner, and they they took out a very risky loan. And so all the employees really had to be on top of paying back that debt or the company would have closed, and that's how they figured it out. So there's a fantastic book called The Great Game of Business by Jack Stack, and I would recommend that everybody read that book because it's very inspiring. It's a quick read. 
uh, and it explains just exactly how they did it at S- SRC and gives you some tips on how you might start thinking about implementing it at your own business. One of Rick's thesis that he preaches a lot is that the Great Recession, as awful as it was, may have changed many people's mind about the way business was done. You know, we I'm, I'm going to be 60 this uh, coming year, and in my generation, we were all taught that 80s ethic of win and lose. You know, I win, you lose. Zero sum. Uh, if I'm winning, then good. My competitor's losing. And Rick's thesis is that Maybe we're getting a little more collaborative. Maybe it isn't just about me winning at the expense of others here. Maybe it's about collaborating with people. He believes in peer groups and the power of uh, brainstorming and masterminds and whatnot. It sounds like you're kind of following that same thesis. Make everybody part of the organization, not just a uh, a line item on the on their expense sheet here. Yes, I absolutely agree with that. Um, there's a great company called Marlin Steel out of Baltimore, and they they do their own kind of open book management. They, they it's a great story. They used to make bagel baskets, and then <laughs> they almost went out of business when low carb diets came into jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so they shifted to making custom metal forms for industrial use, and they figured out how to cross train their employees. So if one side of the business is slow, they can move them over to the other side and then they figured out how to tie people's bonuses to the you know getting the product done on time high quality people get a bonus right there in the next paycheck uh and they are going gangbusters and the the ceo does not think of his employees as um a variable cost he thinks of them as a fixed cost right just like his bank loan they he says they are his posse they are essential well, I hope that uh, this message is growing because our perception of big business is that it's cold and uncaring and you just become a cog in the wheel here. And we saw what that happened in the great last Great Recession here where people were just shed or, you know, that's the not to get political, but that's the, the rap against Carly Fiorina when she did it to Hewlett Packard, that they shed a lot of jobs and, and moved a lot of stuff overseas and without a great deal of thing. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's the perception that still persists here. And I think that's a perception a lot of people have about, about giant corporations. So again, I wonder if this is a symptom of the times that we were in and, and that things have changed, or is it simply uh, a symptom of size? Is it is it less likely to happen bigger bigger you get? Well, I really see business operating in two different streams. I mean, there's the stream that's sort of what you're describing. You know, let's if there's a hard time, let's cut the employees and yeah, and that's why we merge so we can cut costs. We can get the same amount of business with half as many people, and let's get robotic and let's people. There always seem to trying to find ways to shed people. Exactly, but I think at the same time you see this second stream of business that's arisen that really understands that employees are your key asset. There have been some great studies. There was a study out of MIT called The Good Job Strategy by Zainab Tan, and she showed that even in low-cost retail, it's possible to pay your people very well, have operational excellence, and still beat your competitors. Wow, because so, so many I, – I walk in and, and – I won't name them, but there are two pet food chains. We have a bunch of cats, and one of them we walk into, and everybody seems brain dead in there. And the other one, their competitor, everybody greets you and just seems concerned about you. And I always wonder, what's the difference? They sell the same dog food. Yes, 
yes, it's just management. It's good management strategies. So in that particular book, uh, Zainab Tan profiles Costco, Trader Joe's, and Quick Trip, mm-hmm. which are some some businesses that invest in their employees as well as operational excellence. I have a, a lot of the businesses I've talked to say that the most important thing for a consumer, like when you walk into the pet food store, you want to have a great experience. Right. So even if they don't have the brand of pet food that you love, if the employee greets you with a smile and says, oh, I know that brand, we don't have it, but here's one that's similar, yeah. you're going to go away with a good experience and you're going to want to go back there. Right. As opposed to the one where maybe they have what you want, but they can't find it and the employees are surly. That's not a place you're going to want to go back. And you mentioned Costco, and that's a surprising example. I, I know Costco started out here on the West Coast with uh, Saul Price and what was originally Price Clubs. And I have some very good friends who swear their children all work there, and they swear this is the most incredible organization in the world. And it shows, because in a place that's supposed to be just a warehouse where they you have to box your own stuff, basically, and buy it in big quantities and pull it off the shelf, you would think that they people part of it would not be important, but I've found at every Costco I go to, people are eager to help you, even though it's crazy and busy, and the people who check out are efficient and nice and everything. I mean, it it really is more than just a giant warehouse. I'm not trying to give an ad to Costco here, but somehow they do it even where they have theoretically cut the people out of it. The people who are in the organization still seem to care. Yeah, and they invest in their people and give them predictable schedules and a decent pay and decent benefits. So yeah, they give them benefits even for the, I believe, for minimum wage employees and stuff here, which is always right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So I, I want to make sure to let your audience know about a resource that I've been working on with the Hitachi Foundation. Please, we've got uh, about three minutes left, so tell us tell us all about it here. Yeah, so the... I researched and wrote a series of 24 business action guides, which are subtitled uh, Leading at the Intersection of People and Profits. The Hitachi Foundation is a terrific organization that shares with me this commitment to investing in all employees, including lower-level employees, to really increase business success. Mm -hmm. So the goal of these business action guides was to create a one-stop shop for businesses to learn about great employee practices. So sort of soup to nuts from hiring to culture fit at companies like Zappos to effective onboarding and mentoring to cross-training at companies like Marlin Steel Mm -hmm. to open book management and effective profit sharing and then all the way to employee ownership through broad-based stock options and ESOPs. And each of these practices is told from the perspective of a successful business leader who's used that practice successfully and can give, you know, really practical advice from their experience to other business leaders who might want to think about adapting those practices at their own companies. And uh, am I on... Am I correct in assuming, then, that if some business owner, this goes to mainly uh, owners of small to mid-sized uh, businesses here, mostly in Southern California, but they do have an audience around the country, um, uh, particularly because Rick's part of a, a giant organization called Renaissance Executive Forums, and they have chapters all over the world, and many of them tune into this as well. Is it fair to say that uh, people need help doing this? It isn't just... Because on the surface, it sounds so simple. Just care about your people, and they'll care about you. And yet, they seem to... To need guides they seem to need people like you to come in is it just that they can't see the forest through the trees they can't see what they're doing uh, or is it more than that well 
in a lot of cases, they've gotten some things right, and then they can use a boost to implement even more. Mm-hmm. And and business owners love, as you know, to learn from other business owners. Absolutely. So that's why we interviewed some fantastic companies, Zappos, Dansko, King Arthur Flower, Marlin Steel, Tasty Catering, um, who really share what works for them. Everybody talks about Zappos and Tony Zappos. We've never had him on one of our shows, but he's always brought up as an example of how to get things right. And, and if I'm not mistaken, they even go so far as if they find that you're not a fit, they hire somebody, they'll actually pay you to leave. I, I don't know if yeah, that's, that's just, true. I don't know if that's an urban folklore or urban legend or if that's really true, but uh, I thought, wow. No, that is true. They yeah. don't just they fire you. They, yeah. <laughs> well, it's part of the agreement going in, so the employee understands that you've got maybe 90 days to see if it's a fit. Yeah, Otherwise, right. they'll pay you to go. Yeah. Right. But what a what an interesting idea. All right, well, we're down to the last couple of minutes here. What haven't we covered? What would you like to share about your organization or the the, the passionate work that you're doing here? Well, I just want people to know that uh, it's absolutely possible to increase your employee engagement. Um, I would definitely read The Great Game of Business and the Business Action Guides. And an easy thing to start with is just to start by appreciating people. It's so easy to get caught up with day-to-day challenges and to forget to say thank you. Um, some businesses I talk to say, you know, catch people doing something right and reinforce it. Yeah, And right. that goes a really long way. And that's what I was alluding to. It seems like it's so simple. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Weren't we all taught that uh, in church and in schools and whatnot? And yet, somehow when it comes to business, we still see people as automatons, as cogs in a wheel, and and uh, we forget their people first. So I think it's it's wise to remember that, and it's certainly based on the success you've seen and we've seen at this show it seems like it pays off i mean you actually do well by doing good right that's absolutely true so how do they reach you if they want to learn how to do better here well my website is broughton-consulting.com be sure to include the dash all right broughton is spelled b-r-o-u-g-h-t-o-n and do you work with people all across the country or in some particular region or some particular vertical mostly or anything and everything? Anything and everything. I'm based in North Carolina, but I, I travel. And um, I've worked with manufacturing, service, all kinds of businesses. Okay. All right. Uh, last thought Rick always wants me to ask. When it comes time in your own business, um, and I don't know how many, if it's just you or if there's 100,000 people with you, but how do you keep putting this into practice how do you how do you walk the walk and talk the talk well i i thrive on feeling fully engaged in everything i do and so i try to engage people in whatever if it's my family if it's my teenager if it's folks at my church i try to engage everyone um and that's what keeps me excited not just to sleepwalk your way through all this stuff here and uh, and and dial it in on autopilot here huh no, you get one life. You've got to live it fully. <laughs> okay. Well, it sounds like you're excited about what you're doing here. How did you discover this or get onto that? I forgot to ask that, and we'll wrap this up. How did, how did, you, how did the light, the epiphany happen for you? Were you struck by a beam of light and it suddenly hit you, or did you gradually realize the power of what you're preaching here? 
Well, I think I mentioned the uh, the call center in Georgia. Mm-hmm. That's when the light started going on, when I started seeing the power of a business where everybody was super engaged. And then I started learning more and finding out about more businesses, and, and I just got really excited about it. Well, it shows. All right, give us the website one more time, and we'll let you go here. All right, it's uh, broughton-consulting.com. Okay, well, thank you so much, and Claire, for joining us here today. And uh, we ask everybody to stick around. We'll be right back with our next guest right after this. Thanks for coming. Thank you. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi. 